You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Here's your host, Jeff Cassette. Hi, everyone. As SEC rulemakings go, the ones about mandatory universal proxy seem quite straightforward and sensible. Here's how SEC Chair Gary Gensler explains them. It used to be that directors were chosen in person at annual shareholder meetings. Shareholders who showed up in person could actually choose among the candidates and didn't have to choose only from one ballot. But with the emergence of paper ballots and now electronic ballots, shareholders who are no longer in-person voting have to vote for a slate or abstain. There's no way for an investor to pick their preferred combination unless they show up in person. The rules we issue today will correct this. It will mean that when management or outside candidates send out a ballot, investors like you can vote for whomever you want. It kind of just makes sense that shareholders can see the slates side by side, electronically, just as they could in person. Gensler thinks all investors getting the same ballot will help keep directors more accountable. My guest today agrees. But he says exactly how that will be accomplished, how it will all play out, remains obscure. Certainly, we've heard concerns from issuers that they think this might increase the number of contests, um, but we don't know if that's true. On this sticker podcast, Broadridge Financial Solutions VP for Regulatory Affairs, Michael Donowitz, on the new Universal Proxy. But first, here's your IR News Update. There's been a big jump in the number of smaller foreign firms keen on tapping U.S. markets. 81 non-North American companies listed on New York-based over-the-counter venue OTC markets in the last year. That's up 70%. Almost half came from Asia and Australia. It might be the first sign that retail capitulation is setting in, at least in the tech space. Vanda Research Analysts say retail investors are getting less and less keen on buying the dip in U.S. stocks. Recent sell-offs, they say, have prompted much skimpier retail inflows. The investor relations biz has enjoyed somewhat of a hiring frenzy in the last couple of years. A surge in IPOs and adjusting to the pandemic are said to have helped to drive the binge. IR Magazine's Tim Human caught up with the legendary executive headhunter Smooch Repovich Reynolds for some advice on finding career direction. I wanted to ask you about something you've mentioned to me before, which is a careers bucket list and how that can be useful to people you know, having a, a bucket list of things they want to do and how can that give them some some direction in their careers? It's a, it's a great question, uh, Tim. And I think, yes, everybody should have a bucket list. It's not just meant for vacations and where you want to travel in the world. And this goes back to kind of the fundamentals of thinking about your career. And it changes every year, every two to three years, every decade, which, you know, I talk about decades uh, in careers as seasons of our careers. What you aspire to be or do when you're in your 20s is going to be different, I hope, than when you're in your 40s or your 50s, all of which are legit, but they change over time. And so I think having a bucket list is important. 
I, I do that for myself um, because there are certain things I want to achieve. And, um, you know, you have, sometimes you have to get a little bit more experience in certain ways to be able to get the loftier, achieve the loftier goals. Um, but I do think it, it, again, goes back to the basics of investing in your own career. And by investment, I mean thinking about what it is that's intellectually interesting to you, psychologically and emotionally gratifying to you, um, and framing that for yourself. You're not always going to achieve 100% of it, but wouldn't it be great if you could achieve 90% of it? Need direction? More smooch? Check out Tim's IR Career Advice video series on the web. And finally, IR Magazine Research Lab has been extra diligent of late. We've got major new reports on roadshows, crisis communications, and global practice. And Garnet Roach is back with this month's IR Research Rockpile. And she's got some pretty shiny data nuggets mined from the Global Investor Relations Practice Report. Hi, Garnet. Hi, Jeff, and a very happy new year. I'm back after a break from the last episode, but here at IO Magazine, we've been producing lots of really great research. So our global practice report finds that although the proportion of shares held by institutions hasn't changed much since our last survey, it stands at 60% this year, figures vary by cap size and region. And small caps are the only market cap where less than half of shares are held by institutions and where a much higher proportion are held by retail investors, almost a quarter in fact. And we've been hearing a lot about this retail investing boom that's been happening during the COVID-19 pandemic. So has that translated to a shift in who is holding company shares? Well, in North America, the answer is yes. Our latest report shows that 17% of the North American shareholder base is now held by individuals, and that's a three percentage point increase on just one year ago. So it'll be very interesting to see what those numbers look like in yet another year's time. IR Magazine's Garnet Roach. You'll find each of those reports, crisis communications, global roadshows, and the Global Investor Relations Practice Report in the Research Library section at irmagazine.com. It's been called proxy access on steroids, a seismic shift in the proxy contest rules. The universal proxy gives dissidents a new way to access a company's proxy card. And some believe that gives shareholders too much say about who directs the companies they own. But Mike Donowitz isn't so sure. He counsels a wait-and-see approach. But he also warns there's plenty for companies to do in the meantime, and not much time to do it. Here's our conversation. How big a deal is this from a proxy contest perspective? And a capital markets perspective? I mean, how... And I haven't really read any commentary, but it sounds like it's going to have a huge effect. You know, I think it's too early to tell until, until the rule goes into effect, mm-hmm. and firms, and you know, and you know, and and the, the proxy contests have to comply with these new requirements. We we don't know, and you know, certainly we've heard concerns from issuers um, that they think this might increase the number of contests, um, but we don't know if that's true. I've seen, you know, there's been different articles that I've read. About you know, about whether that really is going to be the case or not. So I think I you know I, I truly think it's too early to tell. And you know, and like with any changes to the proxy process, you know, both sides will kind of start to figure out what the new rules of the game are and figure out how they can use it to their advantage. Really. 
Well, actually, I'm a little unclear on that. What, what, what exactly advantage does this give sort of dissidents or, or activists, I mean, uh, that they didn't have before? Yeah, so there's advantages on both sides, I think. The, the, the big advantage to a dissident is that once they've decided that they are going to go forward with a, in a contest, and they're going to, you know, they, that, mean, that means they have to file their own proxy statement. Mm-hmm. And they, that means they have to send out their own, you know, proxy cards. Um, what it means is the, the, the management now is required to put the dissident slate on the management card. So today, when management sends out their, you know, in a contest, they'll send out, you know, management sends out, here's our, here's our, eight or 10 or 12 directors, um, you'll vote for them. It doesn't list out, in addition to, the, to their slate, it doesn't list out the dissident slate. Under the new rules, both parties will have to list out not just their slate, but the opposing party's slate. And, and this so, would have, pardon me, but this would have made a difference if, if the company essentially solicited 100% of its shareholders and the dissident a much smaller percentage kind of thing? or Yeah, well, well think about it. T- t- today, the dissident, ha- there's, no, there's no floor or requirement on who they have to solicit. So in terms of the numbers, so, so today, you know, there could be a dissident who says, you know, I know I, I don't have a chance of winning here. I just want to, you know, have this become part of the debate about this company. And so they could send it out. They could send it out to, let's say, you know, a few large institutional investors and and that's it, but that's all that, that that's all their slate would get to. Um, you know, management has to send out you know their proxy card to every single shareholder to everyone. So okay, it, right. And so now under this new rule, that means that the dissident slate gets to a hundred percent of shareholders at, at at no cost to the dissident. Well, they still they they have a a bar too, don't they? They have to like actively solicit. I think two thirds of shareholders. Right. So in in the Today, there was no bar, none. They, they could do what they want. When the rule was proposed, there was a 50% um, uh, threshold proposed. Yeah. But based on comments from you know, all sides, mm. ultimately the SEC decided exactly like you said, it's a 67% threshold that they have to, to solicit. So... What do you think? Is that is that does, is there like a potential for misuse there? Is that well, that well, you know, the, the concern that the issuers have is like if you set too low a bar, that it creates the situation where that you know that, that, that it just creates um, you know activists can just you know all day long you know create contests and that's a lot of work for the companies to deal with, and and they don't like that. But um, you know you know based on you know looking back historically, you know we we looked at the contest data. You know, more in almost all cases, what we see is that when an, an act, when, when a when a dissident really is going to do this, not just talk about it, but actually do it, um, they solicit more than more than two thirds, anyways. So, so we, we 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 saw that, and so you know, you know, based on that, you know, we're not sure, you know, really what the impact's going to be. I mean, certainly. So it's not that, like they're getting yep. this huge free ride all of a sudden. Absolutely, they're getting, but but. On the other hand, now they they're required to 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 notify sixty seven percent on their dime, right? They they don't they don't get reimbursed by the company um, on on virtually any situations or almost all situations. So you know it's on their dime. 
So it almost, am I understanding this? It almost kind of evens out, really. I understand why you say you don't know whether this is going to make a difference, because from a, from a bang from your buck point of view, it's not really... Um, right. I mean, the, I mean, like, I mean, like, like the, like we talked about at the beginning, I mean, the, the real advantage obviously is just that they're now, their slate is being sent to a hundred percent of the shareholders, you know, so for the price, there, but there, for, is, there but, is some advantage there, obviously. But now for the price of, for the price of soliciting 67% of shareholders themselves, exactly. they, they get that extra 33% bonus from the companies. Is that sort of crudely, am I putting that crudely or, or not? That's a good. That's a. That's a very good way to say it. And but you know the other piece to this is that it, it does also increase liability. So that if if the dissident were to and they, they they have to put out their proxy statement in their proxy statement they have to explain that they're going to be having to go out to at least sixty seven percent and then they have to do that. If they don't, they actually have liability under the pr- proxy um, security clause. So it create it actually adds liability to the dissident as well. Okay. But they don't do what they say that they're supposed to be doing. So there's a stick there. Right, right. And now you know, the one thing I, I wanted to clarify because we've I've had a lot of questions on this one specific point, and I think you get it. But you know, just to clarify, you know, for, for, you know, for, for for people listening, although it's called the universal proxy rule, it doesn't mean that there's one single ballot used by both the dissident and management. Rather, e- each side will continue to, be, to use their own ballot. It's just that they have to have both their own director slate as, and, and the opposing party's director slate. So it's still two cards. It's just that they both have to have the, 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 the list of all the directors on both sides on their card. Right. Which I guess leads us to sort of the, the broader question, another unknowable, I suppose, is like this ability to kind of mix and match, to sort of pick and choose directors. Is that going to change the nature of, of sort of proxy fights, proxy contests at all? Well, the, with, I mean, the, goal, the goal of the rulemaking was to, to, to say, okay, today the only way that a shareholder can vote for directors from both management and dissident is if they go to a meeting itself and actually vote. And so this will allow you to have that same um, experience. So you can vote for, you know, three, in fact, three, three dissident directors and seven, whatever the numbers are. Um, And so that's the goal, which is obviously a good goal. You shouldn't, you know, uh, you know, you should be able to vote who who you want to vote for. Um, But you know, in terms of, you know, is it going to increase the number of dissident directors being elected? You know, it, it's hard to say. I mean, there's, you know, currently there's the short slate rule, which, which does allow um, um, a, the, the dissident, if they're going to put out less than the number of directors, you know, to fill all the seats, um, the ability to just, you know, put, let's say, three, and, and here's the three of our dissidents, and then you would list out the three management directors that, you're, that you don't want them to vote for, um, that rule will, will be um, was, was revoked as part of this because it wouldn't make sense where you can have all the directors on both cards. Um, but so there was, there was always that ability before. Um, I'm not sure how effective it was, but um, there was always that ability before. Hmm, Okay. This is a lot less earth-shattering than I thought it would be, frankly, Mike. I thought this might have been a sort of a sneaker issue that was going to sort of revolutionize well, that. Well, well, I mean, look, anything 
having to do with you know the the voting of of directors is very very important for you know for for issuers and for IR departments right I mean it's it's a big deal and so there's obviously concerns that that by changing the rules here um, by by adopting this rule that that could impact you know the ability to to to, to elect directors and so people are concerned we've certainly received uh, um, calls. From a number of issuers to, to understand potential implications, to understand what the cost might be um, for you know for dissidents um, to to have these contests now that they have to you know um, distribute to at least sixty seven percent just to get a better idea of what that means in in dollars and cents. Um, and, and we and we don't know. I mean, maybe you know because you know to your to, you know to your um, insight earlier about you know you get if you if you send to 67%, you get 100% to everyone, um, you know, that might, you know, that might encourage additional conversations between dissidents and management before it gets to, you know, um, an actual distribution to try to work issues out beforehand. And we don't know yet. Hmm. Well, do you have any other sort of guidance for companies, um, like looking into this specifically from a sort of a shareholder communications point of view? I mean, I, I think because of the changes um, and, and, and the, you know, the, the um, compliance date is August 31st of this year, of 2022, mm-hmm. um, it applies to any meetings with a, a meeting date after that date. That means that materials that are sent out, um, you know, I'm not sure it's in June or July, certainly in August, you know, in, in August will have to be updated for, for these new rules. So, so, you know, so departments and firms really have to get up to speed quickly. Um, to make sure that all of the materials are going to, um, you know, be um, in compliance with these new rules. That's for sure. I mean, that's sort of like, it's coming quick. It's coming quicker than they think, maybe. Yeah. Right. Is, right, that, right. is, that, is that your sense when you speak to clients? Do they, do they, are they grasping? Yeah, I mean, certain, certainly, you know, our, 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 the group, the, the, the client groups at Broadridge um, are engaging with clients. They're, they're, they're providing them educational content. Um, we're already starting to, you know, work on, you know, figuring out how to update um, our technology and operations to be able to accommodate the new, the new ballots and, and do all the programming that's involved. It's, you know, it's work to do that, um, and, and we're and we're certainly doing it, and we'll be ready. But you know, I think, um, you know, I- issuers and the IR departments are also going to have to quickly, you know, ramp up, get up to speed to understand the new rules of the game. And that's your ticker podcast. My thanks to Broadridge's Vice President for Regulatory Affairs, Michael Donowitz. And thank you for listening. And just before we go, I am delighted to announce that this year's IR Magazine U.S. Awards will take place in person. And that's on Thursday, March 31st at Cipriani 25 Broadway. That's the best Cipriani, by the way. Check out irmagazine.com for details. Hope to see you there. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette.